0: Hi friends, you're listening to Midlife Plot Twists. I'm your host, Lucy Baber. This podcast is for anyone who's gotten to their 30s, 40s, or 50s and realized life isn't always as linear as we expected. Tune in monthly as I interview guests about their own midlife plot twists and hear how they've navigated all of life's unexpected twists and turns. Hi everybody, it's Lucy Baber here and I am very excited about today's guest. Um today's guest is not necessarily an old friend of mine. We are fairly new acquaintances with each other via social media and uh, the broader photography world. But I've been following her journey on social media, and I just know that she has lots of really insightful things to share with you today. Um so my guest today is Kirsten Bethman. and I am going to completely step away from the introduction because, I'm going to hand it over to Kirsten to tell us about herself. (laughs) Okay. You know, I feel like it's always a little bit
1: awkward introducing yourself, but um, people might know me as Kirsten Lewis. That is my professional name. And then when I was married, when I got married, I decided to take on my husband's last name because we were going to have a baby and- (laughs) For some reason, I thought it was important that my child and I have the last same last name. Now I'm rethinking if that's really important or not. But anyways, I am a now newly single mom based in Denver, Colorado. I, before pre-pandemic, I'm wondering if there's going to eventually have like some really cool word for pre-pandemic but
0: (laughs) the before times yeah like
1: BC you know (laughs) (laughs) like well we have that PP (laughs) I was on the road on average about 250 days a year for work then we all were sequestered to our homes for two years and that was quite a change and (laughs) A perspective shift. But in the last eight weeks, I have gone full steam ahead back basically into my travel schedule, which is also another bit of an adjustment. I'm a new pickleball player and Mm -hmm. I am starting roller skating lessons. And I just started pole class, which is the hardest thing I've ever done. And if you want some humility about your body and being middle-aged, just take a pole class, (laughs) 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 but I'm determined to get really good at it because that's, I I'm, I'm, I'm a seven Aries. And so, yeah, if something's hard, I just put all the effort in to make it my bitch. Are we allowed to swear?
0: (laughs) Yes. You can say whatever you want.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I don't know. I have a little girl. uh, Her name is Birdie May. She potentially has a rare fatal neurological condition called um, mitochondrial disease. Mm -hmm. And we just found out about that last summer. She's six. uh, But other than that, she's seemingly a tenacious, aggressive, head-butting confident, (laughs) inquisitive, sometimes sanity challenging little girl.
0: So (laughs) is that, I don't know what
1: else I should say. No, that's,
0: that is a lovely introduction. (laughs) Um, Tell me a little bit more about uh, what you do when you're traveling.
1: So I am a photographer, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but uh, in that same umbrella, I am a keynote speaker that speaks about what I do. And I'm also a mentor. Uh, I do about 50-50 shooting and mentoring. So sometimes I have to travel for workshops. Sometimes I have to travel for one-on-ones, for conferences, for obviously shoots. Um, In the last seven weeks, I have been to Tanzania, Montreal, Dublin, Portland, Oregon, Portland, Maine, Kansas City, New Jersey. And I'm heading to New York next weekend. And then New Orleans the week after that, then Puerto Rico. So I'm wow. tiny bit losing my mind. And how I <laughs> do this as a single mother is beyond me. I do have a very flexible ex who thankfully is respectful and appreciative and really patient with my schedule and takes my daughter when I need him to. So that's great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So do, how do you even know what time zone it is? For I, don't, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I am always tired.
0: <laughs>
1: oh No, I went from Tanzania. I It took me three and a half days to get there. Then I shot for three days straight. I started shooting the minute I got off the plane. That first day was 11 hours. The second day was 14, 15. And then the third day was 14. Then got on a plane the next morning and flew home to Denver. I was home for 24 hours, which happened to be my new partner's birthday. And then I had to get back on a plane to go to Portland, Oregon, to spend eight days waiting for a baby to exit a birth canal so I don't (laughs) I I don't and it hasn't stopped since then so I don't
0: know wow okay so so this is where the acquaintance part comes in because I uh knew about the teaching and um mentoring and coaching and all of that but tell me more about what what you shoot specifically what were you shooting in Tanzania so, I do vacation
1: sessions. So, a family was doing a safari. Wow. Uh, and so they hired me to come and photograph them for three days on vacation.
0: Oh, my goodness. Did you see any cool animals?
1: I did. You know, this is going to sound so shitty. I, I feel bad with this coming out of my mouth because everyone's like, oh, my God, you're in Tanzania. You went on safari. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Say it was the great. thing. Say the yeah, thing. <laughs> it was okay. Right? It was. I love, love, loved the people I photographed. Mm-hmm. I have been to Tanzania before. I we went during dry season this year. The first time I was in Tanzania, it was during rainy season. Mm-hmm. So it's a quite a different experience, I would say, with safari, especially if you're in the crater, the Ngorongoro crater. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's really vibrant and green and exciting during rainy season. However, it's rainy Ah, uh and during dry season, it's very dry and slightly Brown. And there's, there's been a huge shift from when I was there 10 years ago to now, which is quite sad. Some of the species have left uh, the Uh crater, which made me very like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's because of, I didn't quite get a full answer as to why like mm-hmm. there's very few hyenas left in the crater there's i didn't know this but i didn't i guess i didn't realize because i saw giraffes the rest of the time i was there but there's no giraffes in the crater and giraffes are some of my favorite we hardly saw any elephants in the crater and a while back the cheetahs just left so there's mm-hmm. no cheetahs in the crater as well so we saw lots of warthogs and mm-hmm gazelle and wildebeest which are all fantastic my favorite part of the trip was actually not the safari Mm -hmm. we stayed at a place called gibbs farm which is this magical heaven on earth farm in tanzania and that was my favorite part of the shooting was the day that they spent on the farm and like the kids you know they fed the pigs and held the baby pigs and collected eggs from the 500 chickens and, (laughs) uh, and milked the cows in the morning and went horseback riding. And I just, I really, my, my wheelhouse is photographing relationship Mm -hmm. between humans, between humans with each other and with their environment and with themselves. And so that is where I'm in my happy place when I'm photographing that it's a lot more challenging trying to show that while on safari. And I just totally admit, I'm not a wildlife photographer. Mm. I can make an okay photo of a living animal, but it's not what I'm spectacular at versus my good friend, Christy Odom, who shoots for Nat Geo and she lives Mm -hmm. here and I assisted her on a shoot and she was photographing tadpoles, and I was like, "I wonder what she's going to get, because this is like very tedious." And when she showed me the photos, I was like, "I quit photography. Like <laughs> I, just, I, just am not a photographer, right?" So, <laughs> just all that to say, we could have shot in Jersey, where the, my family was from, mm-hmm. and I could have made just as, as great photos for them, mm-hmm. as being in Tanzania because. For me, it's not really about the location. It's just it's just about relationship uh, that humans have with each other, and and I love being a part of witnessing that and being having the honor of photographing that and preserving that for not only their their later life but future generations.
0: Absolutely, that makes perfect sense to me, and I think most most photographers who you know know what they're doing. would say the same you know like I could be in the most beautiful place or I could be in you know a a grocery store parking lot and I'll still take beautiful photos because it's not about where we are it's about you know the relationships and and hopefully the light does something interesting as well but uh but yeah that that makes perfect sense and I'm I'm glad that you were frank about that because I think a lot of people especially those of us who don't do travel photography assume that like the people who are traveling the world are like getting the more beautiful shots, and that's not really what it's no about. It's,
1: it's it's not and yeah. it, it really my I know why my client hired me. I know why she did. I have a relationship with her, and she really treasures. and I've photographed her family before, and that's why she brought me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think she brought me to get photos of the animals. That's not right. why she brought me, right, right. It, if she wanted that, she definitely should have brought Christy because it, <laughs> and they're friends, right? Like mm-hmm. uh Christy is one of the most exquisite uh nature and wildlife photographers, I think, that'll ever grace this planet. And some of that has to do with <laughs> who she is. And I, I did not plan on talking about her, but uh <laughs> but I think my client really just appreciates uh the dynamic that we have with me and her family but also just she wanted to see how I would photograph her with her extended family and that I really value and that's what gives me a lot of purpose when I'm photographing so it's like you said I don't care where I am it doesn't matter where I am when I'm shooting I mean it's really awesome like Gibbs Farm was unbelievable and to be to see elephants and their babies in the wildlife is like in real life not behind chain link fence is just yeah. ordinary. Like it, I can't, I, I'm not, I don't take that for granted,
0: mm-hmm. but in
1: terms of my job and what I was there to do, I did not need to be there in order to do that.
0: Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, okay. So we have a better picture of how you spend your days. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about some of <clears throat> the, life changes that have happened over the past few years for you and also let's back up can you tell me how old you are please do I have to admit you, I... you don't have to but no, I... uh for the purposes of this podcast it does help to have a little context.
1: I am 45 okay in some odd months I don't know 46 <laughs> feels like it's right around the corner and I'm having an existential crisis about it but whatever okay. It is what it is i can't stop it it's for
0: is is it 46 is a scary number or just every passing year now is like oh god
1: i think it's every year inching to 50 50 has always been my scary age i don't know why but yeah i don't i remember being in my 20 i vividly remember this Mm -hmm. i was like 23 Uh, i was in the food industry for a long time i bartended i cocktail waitress i did fine dining table service Mm -hmm. and i remember being 23 working at matt's pub in richmond virginia i was cocktail waitressing upstairs and it was this woman's 40th birthday Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and i remember thinking wow they're out so late for being so old
0: How late was it, do you think?
1: Maybe 10. I don't
0: know. was <laughs> amazing. I
1: remember thinking, wow, she looks really good for 40. <laughs> right? So fucking ridiculous. And, and I still, I'll go, I'll answer your question in a minute. But mm-hmm. in my mind, I still feel like I'm, I still have the mindset In terms of excitement about life and adventure and my friends and being silly and curious and just wanting to play, Mm -hmm. that I did when I was 16, 17, 18. I really do still have that brain in my head. Yeah. And so it's difficult. I think in the past year, I've really noticed my physical changes Mm, mm
0: -hmm. with my
1: body, with my face and with my hand, my hands look like I'm 140. I don't know. (laughs) And because I don't subscribe to a particular faith, Mm -hmm. I'm agnostic leaning towards atheism, atheism, or leaning towards reincarnation. But at the end of the day, I kind of like I always go back to, well, you might just die and that's it. But (laughs) I think when you don't have like this security or this attachment to, yes, this is what's going to happen after you die. It is scary. Like, I just, I don't want to die. Like I'm not, listen, if anybody says that for me, if, if anyone, like it comes out that I have died and they said that I took my own life, that's probably not true. Like, someone killed me and just like, someone look for it, like find the person who killed me because I, I, I just really, I just love life. And, Mm -hmm. and even when it's really hard, I really value and appreciate and, and look forward to how it's going to get better or what I'm going to learn from my experiences. And I, yeah. Mortality is hitting me. Like the, I think this, I, I was like well, midlife crisis is, that's not real. And now <laughs> I'm like, it is a hundred percent real. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been magnified by becoming a mother, especially later in life. And this fear that I'm going to go early and my daughter's not even going to remember me mm. because she's only six, right? This is a huge fear I have. This is really not answering your question yet that, no, you and that we're, we're talking about midlife go for it one of the reasons it's really important for me to do what i do which is to just photograph families and their relationships with each other with their environments and with themselves mm-hmm. is really rooted in the young young kids the children because there's this thing uh we all go through it it's called childhood amnesia, mm-hmm. you've experienced it, I've experienced it, that s- researchers don't exactly know why this happens, but solid memory usually doesn't form until around age seven. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, they say that's when your core personality pretty much develops is age seven as well. So I uh, I find that, that intersection quite fascinating. Mm-hmm but yeah there's something um we can have snippets of memory but up until age 7 a lot of people don't have solid memory and i my aunt is one and i have friends who lost parents before age 7 and they only have like two or three you know maybe a handful of memories like physical memories of their parents And that weighs really heavy on me with my own daughter Mm. because we have a really great relationship and I'm a very present mother. And even when I'm traveling, I mean, she was on the road with me 365 days a year for the first two years of her life. She's been to 23 countries.
0: Wow. We're
1: very very bonded. Mm -hmm. But if I died tomorrow, she'd have very little memory. What is fascinating is that they've discovered Uh, researchers have discovered that photographs can actually replace lost memory in the brain so Mm -hmm. whenever I ask people about a memory and it's really young childhood I I challenge them and I say is this a physical memory that you remember or are there photos of this that it happened Mm -hmm. and a lot of times that's like this this like awakening, like, oh my God, there's a picture of it. Do I actually remember it? It's so incredible that it goes in the same spot where the memory is and it replaces the lost memory. And so for me, it's very important that I'm photographed a lot with my daughter in the event that I die tomorrow, that she has some sort of of memory of me, even if it's not a physical, legitimate memory at least there's photos of it that can replace that does that make sense i feel like i just went on a tangent that had nothing to do with what you asked
0: no i that makes perfect sense i could i am a tangent walker myself and uh i actually um i don't know if this is going to make you feel better or worse but um so my background prior to photography was in uh i was a therapist i was an outpatient therapist mm-hmm. and i have clung to this idea that i learned in grad school I feel like most of these ideas I learned are now more common knowledge, so it might not be that mind-blowing, but um, there's this this um, concept of pruning. Have you heard about pruning no. in the brain? So uh, to kind of sum it up, it's uh, basically your brain has kind of like the movie um, Inside Out. Your brain has all these core memories, but every couple of years it does what's called pruning. It lets go of some of the less important core memories, things like whatever color your second grade teacher's shirt was on the first day of school, you know, Mm. all that, like kind of not so necessary information and pruning actually occurs in the brain about every seven years. Oh, Um, fascinating.
1: Oh my God. That's fascinating. Right.
0: right? (laughs) So, so I have lots of theories about this specifically how that piece ties into the idea of the seven year itch in marriage
1: Ah, (laughs) oh my gosh this is all so crazy like these conceptions (laughs) of the brain and how it works in life and whoa
0: yeah yeah and so so it yes it's like a yes and yes it is crucial to have photos um and it's crucial to keep taking photos and also uh the underlying takeaway is that more likely than not you will be one of those core memories regardless and the pruning will actually occur in like all of the unnecessary i remember my my oldest who is like one of the brightest kids i know uh Mm -hmm. just very he's always had a real brain uh, like a database kind of brain where he can just like absorb facts and just retain them for so long uh he was you know the little precocious four-year-old who was schooling all of the, um, science museum, paleontologists on dinosaur names, you know, all of that, like that kind of kid. And I remember, uh, he went to, I guess seven years old is like second grade. Um, so yeah, he was around six or seven years old and he was, you know, at a new school from his preschool, obviously. And we ran into one of his preschool best friends, like one of the kids that he spent every day with. And uh could not remember this child's name. And I was like, what is happening? Why is my kid, like, suddenly so socially, like, uncouth? Because he doesn't Aww. remember this important person. Um, and it occurred to me, like, oh, his brain has pruned that information. Because he doesn't need it anymore. He doesn't see that yeah. every day anymore. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that is the tangent. But um, I will also very quickly plug my uh in doing this podcast I've learned that everybody has a different scary age or maybe not scary but just age that they make assumptions about and uh I will say mine for the longest time was 40 uh but now I'm here and I'm like it's fine but ironically enough in my mind 40 the decade of your 40s was like the dead years but (laughs) (laughs) like I don't I don't know I was a child of the 80s right like I don't I don't know who put this idea in my head because my mom wasn't my parents weren't smokers but in my mind your 40s were like when you're just chain smoking all day watching like you know daytime tv and just don't care about anything but that being said 50 was a turning year for me. And oh. in my head, I've always clung to 50 as the year of the comeback because of Oprah.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. And there she
0: is still influencing us. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Oprah had her big giant comeback on her 50th yeah. birthday year. And so 46 is just one year closer to your Oprah moment. I'm going to give that to you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's great. My hands
1: will look like I'm 200 years old, but (laughs) it will only be 50.
0: (laughs) You can be that very fancy lady who just wears gloves though.
1: (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, I don't know how long this interview is going to be. I'm going to try and shorten it, but the the last two years have been by far the hardest two years of my entire life. -hmm. And it has nothing to do with COVID. Yeah. Which is fascinating. It's just like the universe and me did not merge. We collided in (laughs) this really dramatic um, (laughs) fashion. I don't, it's been really hard. And basically, almost every major fear I have, I have been confronted with in the last two years which Mm. I've been still processing and, and I'm, yeah, I, there was a lot of PTSD. I lost all of my, almost all of my hair and shaved my head. I lost almost 25 pounds. I couldn't sleep. I Was actually uh, to reference what I just said, was experiencing suicidal ideation for the first and only time in my entire life, which Mm. scared the crap out of me. Mm -hmm. It was this has been very hard, and I feel like I'm just starting to get there's some clearing, and I'm seeing a tiny bit of light at the end, but there's been so much transition and so much emotional. I'm trying to think of the right words, like emotional collapse that it's been tough and it's been hard to live in that space and still stay as positive as I can for my daughter and maintain some sort of semblance of stability and normalcy and still work. I don't, it's all been quite challenging. Uh, my 2020 started in January of 2020. My best childhood friend, uh, Megan, the girl who I spent every day with, like first grade to sixth grade, she lived right above me. Uh, My road had a little path, like my backyard had a little path that led to her road and uh, countless sleepovers and, and adventures out in the woods and Girl Scouts and learning to play flute together and all the things
0: mm-hmm.
1: she and her three I should do a trigger warning here
0: mm-hmm.
1: three and her and her three children and their dog were found deceased in their home oh. and they were killed by her husband
0: oh God
1: and it would I mean I never expected to actually have any sort of first degree to family annihilation.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but I did. And that was, it really like rocked me uh, when I found out. And so I had to fly home. This is right before the pandemic. I flew home to Connecticut and reunited with this group of childhood friends. It was a very special place where I grew up. And we literally spent every day together. The childhood was so different. I was born in seventy seven mm-hmm. uh so I was also an eighties child, and we there was no playing inside or even video games or any of that. It was you got home, you dropped your bags off, and you were out in the neighborhood playing for countless hours until the streetlight came on, come inside. I would quickly eat dinner, do a little homework I had and go to bed. And I would do it all over again, school, play, eat, homework, go to bed. And so the majority of my childhood years, hours, weeks were with this group of friends. It's my where some of my main identity is, which where I learned how, I belonged socially and how to work out problems on my own and how to have fun when all you have are sticks and mud. And there were no electronics. There wasn't even, you know, an answering machine. I don't even think
0: in the early eighties. I don't know. I don't remember. They were for the fancy people.
1: Yeah. It was for the fancy people. So that, that's what started 2020 with a bang oh (laughs) Oh, so so this whole group of friends we we reunited after like 30 years maybe it had been yeah it'd been like 30 years since we had seen each other 40 maybe 40 no 30 and i don't know there was this there was this beautiful reconnection but this overwhelming sadness that our friend couldn't be there to be with us it was because of her uh, us losing her that we all reconnected and that was both beautiful and devastating at the same time
0: Mm -hmm. yeah obviously so that
1: started 2020 and then let's move forward to Then the pandemic hits and all my work stops. And that transition was kind of, I don't know this gift from the universe. I don't know how you felt, but as an entrepreneur and as someone who has self-sufficiently financially supported myself, I'm trying to think how many years it's been, maybe 15 years without any other source of income other than what I'm running through my business. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I'm a bit of a workaholic and I absolutely can become mentally very hyper-focused on where the, the the flow of income is coming and making sure that that is a priority. So when COVID hit, uh, it stopped all my travel. And I didn't have a choice, but I had to slow down. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I think that in a way that was a gift from the universe because I needed that pause.
0: Yeah. That reset.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think of year. so it's, we're still in 2020
0: mm-hmm.
1: and some things took place within my, within the industry, within the photography industry that, uh, I won't get into the details of, but I will say wrecked me, and I felt this is this is when uh, everything really started to dissolve for me emotionally. And having a certain amount of public presence, I don't. I've always feared showing too much vulnerability. And yet at the same time, I don't know how to live my life without being quite transparent and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So that was this balancing act that I didn't know how to manage or even face. And uh, it just like, it definitely made me confront all my fears of disappointment, disappointing others or falling short or being misunderstood or not being accepted or feeling betrayed or hurting people unintentionally. All those things are some of my biggest fears. And all of those things were brought to the surface very quickly during that time in the summer of 2020 within the industry. So and
0: if I could have you pause right there, just cause I know how people's brains work without yeah. giving too much information. Um, are we talking about something that was happening to specific people or just um, like maybe like a, a, an organization or company was responding in a way that was bringing up this stuff. Like, can you, without you know going into all the gory details can you give people some context so that they're not going to assume oh it's definitely this thing that i heard about oh things were made public statements were made public uh
1: about me that were not true or okay. misunderstood or or could some of it could have been true that i had no idea about i can say that also Okay. that okay. uh yes i will say that in in this can tend to happen i understand that when someone has a public presence but i was not um i've i've never been built for any sort of public i'm trying to think of the right word like well, it, any it,
0: sort it, of notoriety or whatever like yeah. i'm not way i just i'm it's a I'm, it's a weird phenomenon that i've noticed just time and time again that anybody who is a content creator in the past 10 years, the more kind of quote unquote, viral your work becomes, the more you have been thrown into this uh, public sphere that there's zero training for in the way that celebrities yeah. have access to. And yet you are you know, social media, uh, notoriety is not the right word, but like fame is a thing that people were not prepared for just in general. no. Yeah.
1: No. And, uh, again, for me, like, I just want to fit in with everyone and I'm, I'm very much a people pleaser and I take my role, uh, my roles very seriously and very sensitively. And, and I also like have ADHD, which I've realized like really affects how I interact with my own world and how that can be misunderstood or how I might do or say things that I don't realize aren't socially accepted or can hurt people. And I don't realize it, all those things, or it can make me seem one way when I'm really not that way at all. So mm-hmm. that, that really wrecked me. Like it was very, very bad. Like it, it was really bad. And I worried for my own physical safety with my life. And I had never experienced anything like that ever. Cause like I just mentioned, I love life. So mm-hmm. I was scared And I was afraid of what I didn't, I didn't want to do anything to hurt myself with my daughter and, and I wanted to be present with her, but it was all consuming. I also have OCD. So I, I spin, Um, Mm -hmm. I will loop and spin and think about things over and over and over again. And it still happens two years later with this whole situation that took place.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So and 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 that all also that to say like I'm someone that really takes accountability. So w- with things that had, had come to the surface that I didn't know anything about, then I want to take ownership for anything that I had um said or done that had hurt people and it was just really bad. It was a really bad situation.
0: Okay.
1: So then my my father, my my stepdad, um, but really my second father, he became very ill. And he had been fighting dementia for about seven years, but, uh, my mom had a, um, she went into heart failure, went into the hospital in that October and she wrote me, she, they live in Connecticut. And she was like, I need you to come home if you can, because, um, bear that's his, that was his name. Mm-hmm. He is all by himself and he cannot take care of himself. And mm-hmm. I got on the plane and I got there and I knew I knew things were like getting bad, but I had, I was not prepared to answer the door and my father was just naked, like Ah. the door and I didn't leave. I didn't leave until February
0: Mm.
1: and I became the primary caregiver for my pops. And so there was an, so here's the, (laughs) the next set of biggest fears is, you know, losing a parent for me, mm-hmm. losing a parent. I hadn't done it before and and experienced it. And it was scary, uh, to take shift roles. And as a past therapist, you might, I just read about what there's a word for it when you shift roles, uh, from parent and child, and then they flip-flop, but I mm-hmm. don't remember the name of it. Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with the,
0: the label, but continue. Go ahead.
1: He was in my life since I was three. And so, he definitely did diaper changes when I was a little girl. And I was then doing that for him. Mm. And I just, you don't quite know how strong you can be or things that you can actually do until you do them. Yeah. There was, I never thought I could do any of what I did. And I did it all. I, bathed him I fed him I changed him and I sat with him and held his hand and I closed his eyes after he passed I didn't think I could do any of those things but there's something beautiful about love when you just have pure love for someone that is I think like the biggest strength like it provides you it fuels you with with this superpower like love can do that and 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 I realized how much I was like him and how much I loved him, and there wasn't anything I wouldn't do to make sure that he had a very respectful and um, loving transition from life to death.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i had
1: I have no regrets about any of that time. Um, I definitely have some PTSD intertwined between what had happened the months prior to that and then this but uh i would do it all over again it, it, you could never ask me at a different time of my life every time i'm going to say yes i would do it over again
0: yeah uh, well it it sounds like it was a major identity shift within the span of one year you know you lost yeah. the thing that was kind of keeping you running you also lost a, a core person from your own you know formative years and and the, you know what you mentioned like I'm not sure how how you experience um the the early pandemic, I think that in itself, I can relate to that that identity shift of like, I am this, I am my career. And then when that's kind of stripped from you, there's there's that kind of shift of like, well, well, who am I in the absence of that? But then yeah. to add this other layer of, now, not only is all of that taken from me, and I'm still making sense of it, but I have to step into this new role that I didn't think I could do. That is a lot of identity shifts at once. Uh-huh. Um, it, it yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me that that would rock your world. and and um, and yet, it also sounds like forced you to dig a little deeper than maybe you knew the resources ran you know like digging into that like who not only who have i been but who can i be kind of helps you tap into that core identity stuff even more like because i I would imagine you weren't you know like one version of yourself and then it just like a, a somebody flipped a switch and suddenly no. you're a totally other person. It's still like is drawing from your own internal resources to be able to do that.
1: Yes. And all of those changes they come with pain, right? Yes. And I'm a pain avoider. I know this. <laughs> I'm a pain avoider. I'm conflict avoidant. I I really it it disrupts my system when I experience pain. And conflict. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, again, these were lessons I had to learn. Right. And there are things about myself that I had to come face to face with, especially all my weaknesses and my faults Mm. and things I've done that, you know, or things I have done or haven't done. Like I still have regret that Megan, my friend had, uh, I had, hadn't spoken to her in like a year right and so there's all this guilt that like I didn't talk to her before she died right Mm -hmm. or my pops like during during the Trump years I didn't agree with the Trump administration and he he loved him and that like was really hard for me so I basically disengaged from him for four years Mm -hmm. and it, that's not what defined him. Also, he was sick and being like bombarded with with propaganda all day, every day. And mm-hmm. that that was really influencing and kind of like shifting his mind to this man that I didn't recognize, right? And so, yeah. yes, there's like lots of guilt and like all those things. And the, in the end, you hope you come out of it not angry not with resent not feeling completely destroyed but just in a way unraveled and put back together does that make sense
0: yeah yeah it's it's definitely but yeah I I think that does make a lot of sense that whole like kind of re-piecing um re-piecing everything Untangling a necklace. Yes. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, a, it's still the necklace. It was always the necklace, but taking the knots out makes it usable. Right.
1: Right. I wasn't functioning, right? I definitely wasn't functioning. Mm-hmm. So then I thought things were going to get better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which, yeah. which you deserved.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make amends with as many people including myself as I could and keeping an eye on my mom who had just lost her dad and re-entering my marriage after being gone for quite a while and 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 then my daughter started getting these headaches and they started out with just headaches and then headaches with vomiting and then arm going numb and the headaches uh. and vomiting. And they kept telling us they're just migraines or juvenile migraines, pediatric migraines. We're like, okay. And I was in Miami in over Memorial Day of 2021. And she said, mom, my hand feels funny. I was like, okay. So we knew like probably a headache was coming, but then it didn't come. Mm. And she was talking to me and her speech started to slur. And I, I, I would, my friend was there and I looked at her and I was like, oh my God, can kids have a stroke? And cause I kept saying, mommy needs you to talk to me. Like, I need you to, I need you to talk normally, normal to me. And she was just like, I am not talk normal. And I was like, oh my God, what is happening? Uh. And then, and then she seemed okay. So I thought maybe she was just playing or pretending Oh, that's so, so hard with kids. You don't know. Yeah, I just didn't know. And so she went to go play at a friend's house with her daughter and swim in her pool. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then my friend called and she's like, there's something wrong with Birdie. And I think you need to come and get her. And I said, okay. And my other friend Chantal was out and she was like, I can pick her up. And I was like, perfect. Can you go and get her? Mm-hmm. And when she arrived, she said, has Bertie ever had a seizure before? And I said, yeah, she used to have seizures when she was real little. And she's like, well, I'm pretty sure she had a seizure and, um, and not a grand mal seizure, actually not, not a lot of body movement, but she fades out and then she like, like falls asleep right after. Mm. And then the headache came, uh, with severe vomiting. And so usually that would last for about two to four hours, but at hour six, it was intensifying and I wasn't quite sure what to do. So we ended up in the hospital and we ended up in the hospital for four days. Wow. And they did a series of tests and it seemed like everything was okay. They were just migraines, follow up with a doctor when you get home. But I had to wait to speak to neurologists before we were released. And the neurologist came in the morning and she said, uh, I did a series of MRIs that to just rule out something. And the one thing I was hoping we would not find is what we found. And that is lactic acid in her brain and in her spinal fluid. And this is the marker for mitochondrial disease. And I was like, well, what is mitochondrial disease? And she's like, I just want you to find a neurologist when you get home, um, and do not wait. And uh, I was like, okay. And so she walked out the door. I obviously Googled mitochondrial disease, right? <laughs> and it said rare, fatal neurological condition in children, mm. with a bunch of other stuff. And so obviously I freaked out. And I rem- and I'm doing this alone, and my daughter's in the room with me, and I'm crying, and she's like, "What's wrong, mommy? Uh-huh. Is it Miss Mingus, our dog?" And I was like, yes, I just miss Mingus. And she's like, well, you've done such a good job taking care of me. I'm going to take care of you now. And then I just lost
0: oh, it. Oh, gosh.
1: Yeah. It was, oh, my gosh. And so, yeah. And that has led us to um, a lot of genetic testing and uncertainty and a lot more episodes. And um, however, all of our genetic testing has come back negative in, in Ninety percent of all mito comes up in a genetic screening. However, there's about ten to twelve variations of mito that aren't genetic in nature, meaning that they're not, uh, they don't come up in genetic screening, and the only way to be diagnosed is after two to three years of monitoring. So that's where we're at at this point.
0: Oh wow! So you're still very much in the giant question mark and treating symptoms phase, as opposed to we have a diagnosis and we can move forward
1: either way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. However, like in that, so there's like a a huge fear of mine has been losing my daughter. Uh, Obsessive fear of mine is something happening to her. I had five miscarriages before she was born. And that definitely like influenced me having a lot of trauma around losing my offspring.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But what's interesting to me is once once that potential diagnosis was brought to my attention or get delivered to me, some other more obsessive thoughts or visions of ways that she could pass went away. It's interesting. It's, it doesn't consume me like it used to. like I think some parents or a lot of parents go through this like visions of like falling down the stairs while you're carrying them or. Mm not seeing them behind your car and accidentally hitting them like these are things that but i would obsessively envision these mm, multiple times a day it it has to do with my ocd too it's connected to it but
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh it that some of that kind of resolved itself once they were like well this is
0: potentially how your daughter might go and so
1: i don't well, know it, it
0: redirects that anxiety it yeah it, it definitely allows is. you to kind of it's almost like it's the unknown that is the real yeah. fear And having, having a place to put it gives you kind of like energizes you to focus.
1: Yes. Yep. So
0: that was that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And then my husband and I decided to separate, you know, just to pile on, like (laughs) pile it on, just go ahead and do that. And then our, our, where we were living. Our landlords were like, you have a month, and then we need to end your lease, or we're not renewing your lease because we've decided we're going to sell the house. Oh, my so God. Then we had to get out of the house like pretty quickly and cohabitate for a few months in a 700-square-foot home.
0: <laughs> that, was,
1: that was fun <laughs> when my ex started dating, and I wasn't quite ready for that, mm. and- um and then i i lost my beloved dog i had to put him down in jan that january and that was really hard like that was just like the 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 icing
0: on the the shit
1: cake that
0: i've been making yeah. for two years yeah i mean so i have joked um and and there, there's actually a a surprising amount of overlap between our stories although i haven't really gone into that too much on here yet uh but i have joked that the past two years like my life is just a country song like it really is just like (laughs) whatever whatever like ridiculous outlandish next thing is coming in the country song that's just that's just gonna happen it's just like okay well we just accept it but but yeah you your life is right there you you've got the country song going for you too so maybe we're Maybe like maybe at this point we're just battling for the bigger hit, right? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. And and then
1: two months ago, uh, my best friend suddenly died of a heart attack, and oh, I feel like gosh. I'm done now. Like, we're <laughs> <laughs> just. Yeah. I keep saying to my friends, I just need a little break. Like, I I really emotionally and psychologically need a just a tiny bit of a break, mm. and. And actually, though, through all of this, there has been an awakening and a resurgence of wanting to own and nurture joy more Mm -hmm. now than ever and returning to and exploring things that I've always wanted to do or have missed doing and My ex and I were unhappy for a very, very long time. Mm. And I stayed with him because I loved him, but also because I felt it was the right thing to do with my daughter until Mm -hmm. it wasn't the right Mm -hmm. thing to do. And we're both so much happier. And through leaving that marriage and admitting failure, because that's what it felt like. Actually, just the whole two years have felt like failure to an extent. But this extraordinary, magnificent, beautiful man has come into my life that I believe was meant to come in to my life when he did and has just shifted everything. And I know for my ex with his new partner, she's just perfectly suited for him. And Mm -hmm. my daughter loves her and I adore her. And So with, I don't think you ever, you can't, you don't know what hap how to experience happiness unless you also experience what challenges happiness, Mm -hmm. right? You have to, you have to experience both. You cannot fully appreciate or experience success if you don't also experience failure. It's just how life works. Mm -hmm. It's how we have to process all the emotions to feel them all intensely and fully. And so again, I don't, it has been tremendous, the amount of trauma that I have ingested and lived through in the last two years. And at the same time, apparently this is when I was supposed to learn a lot of lessons and, and address who I am and where I want to make a lot of improvements intentionally mm-hmm. and also acknowledge my strengths, which I'm not very good at doing, but it's okay. I'm learning to do that for the sake of being a really good role model for my daughter mm-hmm. and, and to give myself grace. That's something I'm also pretty terrible at. And it's, I think going to be an ongoing process of learning to give myself grace because I have, it's very easy for me to give everyone around me grace, but because we're all human, but -hmm. when it comes to me, I expect a lot more from myself. And when I fall short, uh, I'm, I am fatally hard and critical on myself. And so I'm learning how to let go of some of that and be gracious to myself as well.
0: Mm. um, just out of curiosity, are you also an oldest child in your family?
1: Kind of. I okay. am the oldest biologically with my biological sister. Mm-hmm. And then when our families blended with the blending when I was, well, they were married when I was seven, mm-hmm. my my pops brought with him two brothers that were older than me but for all intents and purposes with my nuclear construct Mm -hmm. yes i am the oldest with my sister
0: yeah yeah so you you've kind of had a chance to kind of experience um a couple different positions in birth order, yes. but I ask because, um, yeah, I'm also an Aries. I'm an oldest child. So much of the way you're describing uh, how you view this phase of life uh, resonates with me. And then I, I also wanted to kind of go back to something that you and I had briefly discussed before we even started recording. We were talking about uh, the idea of a midlife crisis and how how normal all of these pieces of life feel to a lot of people around us. Uh, not they don't they don't feel normal to the people, but it feels normal if you take a step back and recognize even though it doesn't feel normal in the moment, it is very normal for a lot of life shifts to happen at this phase. Mm-hmm. Um and I was thinking as I was hearing you talking just now about how you mentioned the intense feelings of it all. I think I suspect that the difference between somebody like you and I who are going through all the things and feeling all the feelings uh, but coming out of it with a lot of strength and resilience and deeper understanding of ourselves Um, the difference between that and what my mind kind of associates with a midlife crisis which is like I'm just gonna say it it's not necessarily politically correct but you know, middle-aged man who's balding and buys a Ferrari and like cheats on his wife, you know, like right. yeah. that, that that's, that's what I've always imagined a midlife crisis would look like. Uh, it's really the difference of like, are you willing to feel the feels no matter how terrible and intense they are and yeah. learn something from it? Or are you just seeking to cover it up and kind of mask the whole thing and still maintain that same sense of identity Consistently throughout your whole life, you might not have a deeper understanding of it, but at least you're still, you know, the same old person you've always been. Yeah. um I suspect that that's that's the difference, and that's why what allows you to be able to talk so candidly while you're still in the thick of it.
1: Yeah, I have to right. I I have learned meeting my new partner. That really has changed everything about me i Mm -hmm. in my entire marriage i was with my ex greg for nine years Mm -hmm. eight eight maybe eight we're we're on year nine but you know we're technically not divorced but i mean
0: yeah you're in you're in the separated phase
1: yeah I mean, we both have other partners. He's been with his partner for almost a year. I think maybe he saw me cry a dozen times, maybe in those nine years. Mm -hmm. My new partner saw me cry 12 times last week. (laughs) Oh, I can relate. (laughs) I have always been afraid to feel my feelings fully because I've always been afraid that it's going to make me weak that the perception that others have of me is that I'm not able to be a strong supportive friend partner uh, uh, member of the family.
0: There's a fear of being too much for somebody yeah.
1: yeah and and I was i I can I can I can mark this. I had a lot of feelings and I all felt all my feelings and I showed all my feelings as a little girl. Mm. And it was not necessarily okay with my family. I remember my parents speaking about it in front of me to other adults. I remember feeling shame for it. I remember feeling so alone. And I thought there was something wrong with me because I was feeling all these feelings and expressing them. So there was a shift that happened in high school where I just decided I was never going to be like that again. Mm -hmm. And I really shut that off. I, I, I really shut it off. There were times I would break down to myself, but not very often. And uh, I think Molly, my assistant would be a good example. I think she's seen me cry one time and she's been working with me sick for six years. She knows me better than pretty much anybody in the world. Mm -hmm. And I can, it's like I, I taught myself how to verbally speak about challenges and pain in a very clinical way. Like I was <laughs> taught in my psych program, right? Like everything very clinical. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I could let it out, but st- but not really. Right. It's, Just it's... glossing over it. I'm acknowledging it, but I'm not, I'm not, not experiencing it. it. I'm acknowledging it, but I'm not releasing it. And so all that has been held inside for a really long time, a really, really long time. And I will say this out loud to any women specifically, specifically women out there that are in unhappy marriages and you stay for the sake of the children or you stay for the sake of the fear of change or what will happen next because i had all those feelings for the for the fear the fear of failure or the fear of maybe even admitting your own slight contributions to you know we it's it's two it's two way it's never just one way most of the time it's not one way mm-hmm. when when a couple is unhappy to move forward in that transition can be possibly one of the best gifts you can give to yourself and your kids because what you teach your children, if you stay in an unhappy marriage, when you really are unhappy and you don't think there's resolve, is that that's what you do. You do the best to just stick it out. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you ever would want your kids to just stick it out for the sake of sticking it out because it's the right thing to do or what you think or perceive is the right thing to do.
0: Right. You're you're essentially in that scenario, you are teaching your children how to repress. You're modeling that to them. Correct.
1: You're modeling it for them and yeah. and so i i can't i just can't i can't stress this idea enough that you are worth it and your joy and happiness is worth it to make choices that can lead you in that direction even if the process of going through it is super painful mm-hmm. i for 4 months straight after my ex and I decided to separate. I would spend every morning in the shower, in the fetal position, crying by myself, Mm. hiding because I didn't want my daughter to hear me cry. Mm -hmm. So I did cry on my own, but I was like, it's never going to get better. I made the wrong choice. Like all this, I don't, I don't know what to do with all this change, but, and then one day I woke up and I was like, I feel better. Like it's going to be okay. And not to say that all of a sudden everything was better. You know, it's still like uh, a work in progress, but I believe that I deserve happiness now, just as he does. And just as my daughter does and staying in a partnership where we were not partners actually. And we were just arguing all the time and not seeing eye to eye. That was not healthy for my daughter. And it was, neither my ex nor i would ever want that for her all we want is for her to see her dad really happy in a good partnership and her mom really happy in a good partnership or not doesn't need to be in a partnership but just want we want them to want her to see us being happy yeah. not doing and fighting and being
0: um just content or right i i think this idea of modeling how you want your kids to kind of experience life. I've been thinking about this a lot because yeah, I think it is huge. Um, I think, I think a lot of us as parents, as current middle-aged parents have hopefully given a lot of thought to how would I accept my child? How will I show that I will accept them if they come out as gay, for example. Right. And, and we've given a lot of thought to like, well, of course, um, I've, I will tell them that I accept them and I love them. And I want to say in their life, obviously that is the hope, uh, at least, you know, amongst my network. But I think that question has really forced a lot of parents to kind of imagine, well, you know, how, how can I model to my kids that I will accept them before, before that even comes up? Uh, I think there's been a shift generationally where, we're starting to think about, you know, I don't want my kid to have to come out to me in this like big, scary way. I want to live a life that like every day feels like an opportunity for us to share more of ourselves openly and authentically without the fear of judgment. And so there's there's kind of this like uh, overlay, this narrative kind of constantly running in my head of How else can I show them that before it gets to the big scary talks for them? How can I show them in my everyday that they get to choose who they will be every single day of their lives and that there is no admission of quote unquote failure or no change or no realization that they could reveal to me that will be the line? that will kind of cross my personal threshold. I want them to see every single day that like they get to show up in life and feel all the feelings and experience yeah. all the things and that I'm going to be cheering them on, you know, barring murder. And even then sometimes I'm kind of like, well, let's just, let's talk about why you murdered the person. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, I want them yeah. to know that they've got their, their biggest cheerleader is at home and um, and not in a blind Like you're the best kid in the world kind of thing, but in a more like, just, I want to, I want to model to them that life is meant to be felt and experienced fully yes. and whatever path that takes them, that's the path that they're meant to go on without a fear
1: of being judged. Like that is that that is the precipice for so much behavior choice Mm -hmm. in both children and adults. You know, i'm I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. Mm-hmm. And you know, the idea of shame is very much connected to judgment, right? Mm-hmm. And she believes that shame is the precipice for lots of behavior. And um, I've really taken that to heart in terms of how I communicate verbally and nonverbally with my daughter. Yes. I don't ever want her to feel shame or a fear of being judged. And mm-hmm. I've led my whole life with a fear of shame and being judged. Every day until just recently, I'm I'm really trying to let that go. I also think that what I'm realizing is this is the very first partnership I've been in where I've been encouraged to feel how I feel. And it feels very safe. He has mm-hmm. created an incredibly safe space for me to just be as I am and that I can be loved unconditionally. Again, this is all very foreign to me, but it has taught me to continue to maintain a bubble, at least within my own home and in my own sphere with my daughter, that it is a very safe space, very safe. And I think, the safer your space, whether you're choosing your friends, who in your family you spend time with, your partnerships, with yourself, to to prioritize feeling safe, because it's within those those spaces of feeling safe that the fear of shame and judgment goes away, and you can presently own and
0: accept who you are a hundred percent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That makes so much sense. Yeah. And, and I think uh, a lot of people need to hear that when we refer to safety, it's not only physical safety.
1: No, I'm it's, not even talking about physical safety. Yeah, yeah. it's
0: It's that like emotional safety. And I think people, as somebody who has not always experienced that, I want to put into words that like emotional safety is not just, well, you're allowed to say whatever you want. It is that feeling of like being embraced, regardless yeah. of what you say. Not yeah. just not just the space is here; you can take it, but like welcomed into it and held through yes. that. It, that's that's a huge thing to experience, and if you've never experienced it, um, it can feel really foreign. It can yeah. feel like uh, something that only happens in the movies. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I feel. I don't know that I would have been able to hear in my younger years, uh, what that should look, can look like. I don't even, I don't like the word should, but what that can look like, I don't think I would have been able to absorb and process that meaning, but, um, but if somebody does have the ears to hear it, uh. You deserve that. I think more oh my people gosh. need to hear like, you deserve not just the bare minimum, like, well, you're allowed to do whatever you want, but like the welcoming in, that mm-hmm. is, that is a feeling that everyone deserves to feel in their life regularly.
1: Man, woman, child, grandpa, like we all deserve like any, whatever, wherever you live, whatever lifestyle you choose, we all deserve to feel safe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I fear that it's very few feel like choose to to create spaces of safety. Yeah. We we can choose who we share our lives with. And that includes eliminating toxic people from your family, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm not one that said, believes you are bound. To love and engage with family members that are toxic, that yes. are harmful to you, that don't provide a place to feel safe being who you are.
0: Yeah. And yeah, redefining family is okay. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've really been clinging to the idea of chosen family. And I know that that is a concept that was, you know, really initially, I feel like that was an, that was a, a phrase that was created for the queer community you know like well yeah. if, if your mom has disowned you that I'll be your new mom or whatever but yeah. and so I'm not trying to like co-opt it by any means but at the same time uh recognizing that 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 opportunity can be something for me too yeah um has been huge to recognize that you know like if you're in a stage of life that like the people around you are kind of like, yeah, that's fine. Let's not talk about it really though. Mm-hmm. Uh, Then that's not safety. That's not, that's not that welcoming in idea. And you should Correct. be spending more time investing in the relationships that say, come in, honey, I'll be your mom now. Yeah. My mom nor my dad
1: modeled unconditional love for me. I'm not saying they don't have it, but I never mm-hmm. felt it. And there were things that they've done or said over the years from the time I was very little to even honestly recently where they don't realize it. It's not intentional, but it doesn't provide me with a feeling of being loved unconditionally. Mm-hmm.
0: There's still In- a lot of should attached.
1: Yeah. Yes. And like I said, this is, they're doing the best that they can. I also believe this. And so I give them grace, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But if you don't experience that feeling as a, as a child of that kind of safety, it, it filters out and informs every decision you make as an adult. It is crazy. And I'm just mm-hmm. like now untangling that I'm unpacking all of that and why I made choices that I've done, that I have with friends, with business, with money, with partnerships, where It almost feels more familiar to not choose unconditional, right? Mm -hmm. And so to now feel that is, like you said, foreign and uncomfortable and scary. Because, Like for me, it's scary because my fear is it's not real in that I'm going to be 100% vulnerable, I'm going to lay it all out there, and I'm going to get shattered.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but the beauty is if you can allow yourself to get to that place and just exhale and then inhale the un- unconditional love it is this glorious like blanket of um secure it really is like a blanket of security that encourages you to hold on to and reveal and feel pride in actually who you are Mm -hmm. with no excuses, no inhibition, no fear, just being yourself. And I, I feel like I'm not there yet, but I can see it. And I'm really looking forward to doing that more and more. And then I hope that as I continue to model that for Birdie, that she she can maybe avoid most of that shame and and fear and judgment, holding her back from being
0: her truest self as she grows. Absolutely. I um as as I was hearing you talk, I I was reminded of a story, and I want to I want to share this quickly, and then I have one more question for you. Mm-hmm. Um. So I grew up extremely religious. I do not uh maintain any of that belief system in my life anymore but back in the day there was a book that i read uh by the very famous theologian c.s lewis i'm going to share my interpretation of this book with without the religious lens which there might be listeners who are like really mad about that but when i read this book uh the great divorce it uh have you are you familiar with his work at all no Okay, so the guy that wrote the line "The Witch in the Wardrobe," but it's all he oh. also he was a okay. theologian and he wrote these other really beautifully crafted stories to make sense of the Bible, to to evangelize essentially, and to, to yeah. Uh, but this one story that he wrote, uh, it's a very famous work of his, "The Great Divorce." I believe his intention was uh, to describe heaven. And it's been two decades since I've read it. So again, people who know this book inside and out, don't judge me. But two decades later, what I remember is there is this. So you the the character, I don't even remember who it is, dies and arrives at um this kind of like an entrance to a giant field, a giant field of grass. And on the far end of this huge field of grass is a mountain and my memory is that the mountain is once you get over the mountain you're in heaven and so this person has to cross this huge field first and as they start walking through the grass they realize that the grass isn't like normal grass it's basically like shards of glass or um, or it, it feels like it's like almost frozen it's very prickly and it's hard to walk on without getting hurt and yet the idea is you have to cross this field in order to get to heaven yeah um and so again without removing the religious lens at this point um but still retaining that story i've been thinking about that a lot in terms of midlife and how many of my peers and friends and family have gone through this period of like intense emotional turmoil things just their entire lives just turning upside down. And I keep coming back to that visual of like having to cross this giant field that to the outside looks pretty innocuous, right? It's like pretty, it's just grass. Uh, But the more you walk on it, the more hurt you become and uh, you can't get to the good place until you cross it. It feels very much. And I'm kind of clinging to this hope too, that we are in the middle of the field Mm -hmm. there's probably still further to go but coming out on the other side being able to say I did that at the end of it that's where the good stuff is you know that's where the like the peace, the really that like huge sense of contentment and understanding of self and the world around us that is you know we're 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 learning the lessons which sounds boring and annoying and makes me want to punch somebody because I don't want to be there. But the goal is that that un- deeper understanding on the other side, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Again, well, it's that idea that to have the greatest of, of joy and the greatest of reward uh, takes also the greatest of struggle sometimes and
0: pain to get there. Yeah, it sucks. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I do not want to be in the middle of this field. <laughs> no.
1: And it seems like it's really like a hundred acres long. Like yeah. I yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it, it's really hard to see the other side. But the hope is that uh as we come out the other side, things will calm down. There will be a a new sense of normalcy, if not a return to you know, the before times. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And so I, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to share that visual with you. Hopefully it, it helps, but, um, I do find
1: it fascinating that I don't know about you, but I know so many of my female friends. We're all in our forties that are all getting divorced. mm -hmm. I don't know if it's because of the pandemic or because of this midlife thing we're all going through. I'm not sure, but I do find a lot of curiosity around it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's yes and. I think it's the pandemic was a trigger for a lot of people, but also, you know, entering into a new phase of life, recognizing and accepting that life, Um, I say this all the time on this podcast, life doesn't have to, it's not meant to be linear, This idea that we all grew up with, thinking like, "Well, you do this and then you do that and then eventually you'll live happily ever after," like that was a lie, (laughs) and uh, the happily ever after is not happening. So, and that was ingrained
1: in us as a kid with the freaking, you know, the Disney movies, right? Yeah, Yeah. there's always a happy ending, and um, yeah, I there's a Is it a movie? I think it's the Sex and the City movie. <laughs> where Jessica, Sarah Jessica Parker is reading, Carrie is reading a fairy tale to Charlotte's daughter. Mm-hmm. And, and it ends when they all live happily ever after. And I, sh- Carrie says something like, you know, this isn't real, right? Like this isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> And um, my partner and his daughter and my his youngest and mine, they're only three months apart. Mm -hmm. and then he has an older daughter and I overheard them playing the other day and the older one's like okay so we're gonna play that your parents died (laughs) and now you're left as orphans but I'm gonna take care of you and I was like Jesus Christ (laughs) um and I told I told my partner and he was like yeah it's freaking Disney right like every (laughs) new Disney movie they love killing off the parents (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs)
1: yeah they do (laughs) i was just like in shock and i was like and also ah yep you're right that is the influence of of disney but like fairy tales like you said like fairy tales it it set us up
0: for disappointment right that life doesn't work like that yeah yeah and and it also is like okay so they did have the struggle they did have the parents die but Uh, There was no mourning. There was no decades (laughs) and cycles of grief. And it was just like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. All you need is a man to like put a bandaid on it and you'll be better. Uh, Yeah. That, that is not real. And I think the more, the more of us that wake up to that fact, the more we are able to kind of reclaim this whole, like, no, I am the captain of my ship. I'm not going to allow a man to dictate things it's mm-hmm. going to suck in the meantime, because our society is still set up for patriarchal leadership. And uh, as anyone who is in the process of divorce knows, you know, thankfully you've been, you said financially independent for a while, but, but there is not a lot of uh, systems set up for financial independence for I women, know. but I know. but it's, it's the walking on the, the grass that is painful and you'll get through it. And uh, we're all going to come out the other side. With more enlightenment, if not, hopefully, cushioning your bank accounts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. So question I always ask people at the end of my podcast. This this feels like it's going to be a hard one, but I'm just going to leave it for you. Okay. If you could go back to younger Kirsten at any point and impart some knowledge to her, what would you say? Maybe knowledge. Knowledge isn't the right word. Wisdom. If I was talking to my younger self, I I would, because I think
1: this is what has brought me quite a bit of hurt in my life that could have been avoided. Is my my job, your job, if I'm talking to my younger self, your job is not to ensure everybody else's happiness while sacrificing your own. That isn't your job.
0: And can we also replace happiness with like any other iteration of that? Like stability, comfort, peace. Yeah. Yeah, Peace of mind, um,
1: confidence, Mm. that it's not your job to do that. And as a people pleaser, um, that's going to be the hardest lesson that I know I'm in the process of having to learn. Um, and it's going to be the hardest for me to accept. I, I just taught a, um, I, I teach these week long workshops, uh, and I just did one in Dublin and I always feel like it's a scam. I learn and take away so much more being <laughs> the teacher and the mentor than I provide.
0: Yeah. That's the secret student. of being a teacher.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I love, I really do love all my students. Uh, so my one, my one student told me she shared with me she's going through a huge transition too and she's like, do you know what I've started doing Kirsten I was like what and she goes I've just made it a point that every day I have to disappoint someone just a little bit <laughs> I was like for real and she's like, yeah and it's really uncomfortable but it it's getting easier whether that means just saying no mm-hmm. or not answering the phone, Or canceling plans Mm -hmm. because it's in the best interest of me and my health. I choose to disappoint someone a little bit every day until I have no more feelings around it anymore. Um, And that has really stuck with me since the moment she told me, because I think it's maybe something I need to practice. Although I think I disappoint people all the time and it kills me. I really feel that way, but to intentionally be able to just say no uh, is hard for me. It's it's really hard, but it also gets me into a lot of trouble. So I think all that connects to, I would tell my younger self, yeah, it's not your job to, to make, uh, to ensure other people's happiness.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. I, that brings up so many things for me. Uh, one more story. I, yeah. We all we we're photographers. We make sense of life through stories, right? It makes me think about the scene in uh, what is it called? Bruce Almighty. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember Bruce? Almighty? I loved that movie. Uh, I, I saw it, but I it has been a really long time. Doesn't it? Isn't it Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey. Uh, he's God. Yeah, through some yeah. series of events, he's God, and yeah. um, there is a scene that I think about all of the time. Where uh, he's trying to say yes to everyone, and he thinks that that's going to make everyone happy, and uh, so all of these people pray to win the lottery, and he says yes, but they all end up winning like a dollar because oh, of it. Yeah. And I think oh, about that great. so yeah. often because yeah, if you're if you're trying to make everyone happy, if you're if your intention is to say yes to everyone, then everyone is going to end up with something shitty. They're not going to be happy with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I'm going to remember that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that's, that's huge. That's, that, that sounds like something I'm going to work on practicing too, disappointing somebody every day. And it, and it can't, it's a cop out to just say, well, I'm going to make my kids a vegetable. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it has to be something, it has to be something meaningful, not just like, oh, you have to put clothes on to go to school today or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um well kirsten thank you so much for for talking um gosh we really we went deep today so i i really appreciate everything you've shared hopefully it it added some value to your day as well for sure um i just hope that it's not too boring for your
1: listeners and that oh my goodness
0: (laughs) no no people who listen to this podcast are ready for for all the truths hopefully (laughs) <laughs> but before I let you go, uh, can you quickly share how people can follow you, stay in touch, all those good things? Sure. Uh, so my, I have two websites,
1: kirstenlewisfoto.com, and that is I-R-K-I-R-S-T-E-N, mm-hmm. Lewis Photo. And um, I also have a a site that I don't advertise as much, but it's my editorial site and personal project site. So I did a story on my pops, like taking care of my pops and it ended up be ended up being about his relationship with my mother, which was quite sweet and unexpected. And mm. uh, if you're interested in checking that out, that's at KirstenRebeccaBethman.com. Uh, Kirsten, K-I-R-S-T-E-N, Rebecca, R-E-B-E-K-A-H, Bethman, dot com. And then you can follow me on Instagram at Kirsten L Photog. That uh, account is shifting a little. I'm going to be sharing a lot more, well, a lot more photos that I need to start posting. But also (laughs) like just about being a mom or being a woman in my 40s and like tips and tricks. And I've started to like really just want to connect the real life photography that I do with real life existing and like yeah. to get through the day.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that account is shifting a little. Very cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much again. And um, yeah, I hope that lots of people tune in and, and hear all the good stuff that we talked about.
1: Well, thank you for trusting me. And I think that this is an incredible podcast, really important. And I can't wait to just share it with all of my friends um, who I think can really benefit not even from my um, my interview, but all the other ones that you have. Uh, I think we need more of this transparency and honest talk about being in our in our middle life and what
0: that <laughs> looks like. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Midlife Plot Twists. Be sure to hit subscribe and check back monthly for each new episode. Since monthly podcasts don't automatically download, You can also follow me on Instagram at Lucy Baber and Facebook at Lucy Baber Photography to be the first to know when each new episode is released.